0: Welcome dear travellers, to another brief sojourn beyond the veil of darkness. As a traveller myself, I know how important it is that we trust our instincts. Even when the feeling seems odd or out of place, we must always believe that our inner selves are trying to share something important. I remember going to see Reza, angel medium or some sort of title to that effect. This was maybe 15 years ago, and I had gone with my mother. Reza was another spiritualist on our list to visit, and so we went to see her. She had a little apartment, brightly lit with the afternoon sun, it felt warm and inviting. There was a sleepiness to it as we were led to her living room couch. Mom was ready for this reading. I could feel the eagerness, the anxiety just rolling off of her. I would like to say that maybe Reza does have some spiritual abilities, and they simply misfired on this day, it's entirely plausible in her defense but I also observed Reza as she took in my mother and noted to herself all of the little things that she could twist into a reading. We were sitting across from her, and after the usual barrage of questions, Reza went into a spiritual reading of my mother's energies as to tell her a potential future. Reza swung a little crystal pendulum from her palm and used its motions to add, or to change details, as she began to tell my mother that her love is out there somewhere, that he will be a brunette, blonde, I said, that he will be a brunette, that he will be a very tall man, not, I said. Reza continued spinning her little web and building an emotional connection with my mom, but meanwhile I could see him. I was standing across the street from his home, two stories with a carport. He was outside mowing the front lawn with socks up to his calf and wearing slippers. A stained blue shirt, blonde hair, I remember seeing my stepfather years before I ever met him. And when I saw him, I knew him. I knew that he was a good and gentle man and that he would love my mother endlessly. But Reza and other spiritualists like her, well, they will lie. And it's important to listen to that little voice inside you, the voice telling you that they are lying. You can speak up, or keep it to yourself, but don't ignore that voice. It'll guide you through the darkness. And here, today, I will be that voice, your humble host and guide, Morgan. I will be your sanctuary as we prepare to hear from Betty on this week's episode, The Spirit Board. Brace yourselves, dear travelers. Your descent into darkness begins now. Now. My story starts in grade 11. I was never one for conformity. I used to hate all things preppy and girly and I had some very strong ideas. Ironically, I was a cookie cutter goth. Sprinkle a bit of emo on top and a dash of Avril Lavigne and those were my teenage years. I only hung out with the skater kids and the other goths and some of my goth friends were a little extreme, one of them in particular. For the life of me, I can't remember his real name, but he went by Bubba. I didn't know it at the time, but he was very unstable. He was a tall kid, always wore pants covered in chains and platform boots. His hair was green and about shoulder length, and his face covered in piercings. I was in love with him, obsessed with him would've jumped off the roof for him. So when he invited me over to his place because he was having a party, there was no way I was going to say no. I remember it was November because my birthday was going to be in a few weeks from this party and because everything was so dark, so early. I don't know where I expected Baba to live but it certainly wasn't where I had just walked to. When I think, where would a goth teenager in the 2000s live? The answer is usually trailer, apartment, grandparents' house, under a bridge, so many options. None of them a goddamn mansion. Baba's house was so big that he had an intercom at the gate and then a driveway from the gate to the house. It was one of those crimes against degentrification that you see in the movies. I get buzzed in, and I'm walking up to this house feeling nauseous. Feeling like this was not going to be a good time. My insides were knotted up, and I really felt like I shouldn't be going in. I should have turned around and left but instead I kept walking. It was pretty quiet inside. I could hear the bass and drums of some rock song playing somewhere in this house, but there wasn't anyone walking around or talking. There was no typical party din. I remember taking my shoes off and kind of looking down every hallway to see if maybe there were signs or something. I hear a door open and that's when the music becomes overwhelmingly loud. I hear people shouting at each other in conversations, so I head over in the direction of the sound. It was the basement, or a part of the basement, and whoever it was that had come up greeted me and pointed me downstairs. It was huge. I think there were 30 kids in there, at least 40 maybe. More alcohol than any human being should be drinking. People were dancing and having a good time, and I was sitting on the couch, just watching. Baba came over with a glass full of something, gave it to me, and sat down beside me on the couch. I started drinking. I didn't care what it was, and we started Talking. The music was loud, people were loud, so we had to lean in really close to each other to hear what one another had to say. Baba mentioned that when things quieted down was when the party would start. And that he wanted me to stay. I wanted to stay, yes, but it felt like I also didn't have a choice. I sat there on the couch, and now and then Baba would come and sit back down beside me and chat, and sure enough people started leaving. We were down to about half the crowd when the music was turned off, furniture was pushed out of the way and a coffee table was brought in the middle of everyone. Baba put down a Ouija board and then stood there, with his hands in his pockets, looking at everyone. Any takers? I remember him saying. I remember the silence. Everyone wanted to laugh at it, but also couldn't brush off the fear. I put my hand up. Baba came over and put his arm around my shoulder while hooting and hollering and then a few more people put their hands up. I felt like I had reached the peak of my teenage life right then and there. Nothing would overcome the high of having been noticed by the boy I like. We all got down around this coffee table and I was beaming. I think I was probably blushing. I had my fingers on the planchette and I was looking around at the other three people with us with their fingers beside mine. The others who wanted to stay had crowded around us, watching, waiting for their turn to play with the board. Bubba asked if there was anyone with us, and I held my breath as I waited for something to happen. I heard a giggle from behind me, a cough. We were just waiting in absolute silence, all of us. I begged for nothing to happen. I looked at the faces around me and kept begging for nothing to happen. And then the planchette slid to yes. No one flinched. The four of us were frozen in place. Baba was unfazed. And immediately he asked if the visitor had a message for anyone there. The planchette did a little loop and sat on yes again. Baba pressed for a name B E T T Y. I watched the planchette slide over to each letter of my name and I gulped. I was starting to feel like bees were buzzing in my skull. Everyone's hands were relaxed, their wrists were relaxed, it didn't look like anyone was moving the bit. As the planchette sat on the Y, everyone turned their heads to look at me. It was such a disconcerting moment to realize everyone's eyes were firmly placed on me. It felt forced, demanded. I heard Baba ask how the visitor knew me. The planchette spelled out M-O-T-H-E-R. I stared at it blankly. My mom was alive and well. A fact which I said out loud. Baba then asked what the message was. We got gibberish letters upon letters that didn't make sense. I didn't know what any of this could mean, and I was a little inebriated, so the nausea from before was getting unbearable, and I wanted everything to stop. I wanted to go. I took my hands off, and the person to my left kind of tutted and grabbed my hands to put my fingers back on the planchette. I wanted to go. The planchette was moving again, more gibberish, I was so tired, I wanted to go. I looked over at Baba, and he was smirking. And then I threw up all over the board and table. I remember everyone panicking when that happened, but I don't remember anything else. I woke up in my bed the next morning. I felt somehow taken advantage of. I felt like he had orchestrated that Ouija board thing to make fun of me or to scare me. I just didn't have another reason for why he was smirking like that. That crush ended so fast. I avoided him after that night. I kept to myself and then over Christmas break things started to get a little weird. It was literally Christmas Eve. I had a couple of presents for my family and so I woke up at midnight to go and hide them under the tree. I wasn't the only one awake. I had heard my sister doing the very same thing I was about to do just a few minutes prior. I've never been scared in my home. We have a happy home, a home of love and light. I wasn't scared of the dark, not scared of monsters or anything. I made my way down to the living room where our Christmas tree was, and I put my parents and siblings' presents under the tree, and then I turned to go back upstairs. There was a figure of a man standing in my dining room. Dad? I called out, even though I could see. I could tell that man wasn't my father. I hadn't heard footsteps, I hadn't heard doors, no creak of the stairs. It was dead quiet. And this man was standing maybe 12 feet away from me. I don't know how long I was standing there in terror, but he didn't move either. We just stood there facing off with one another, and in my fear, I began to think that if this was a burglar, they'd have dashed away the second we saw each other, or maybe they'd have attacked me. But this intruder was doing nothing, he was just standing and watching. He was tall, but not overly so, had a coat that sat right at his knees, unbuttoned, and a brimmed hat. I don't know what came over me, but I took a step towards it. I don't know what my intentions were, but as soon as I took that step, the man disappeared. I remember saying, okay, and making my way back upstairs. It really rattled me. It made those foundations of safety and comfort crack. A little. And in the weeks that followed, those foundations only crumbled more. It wanted the attention. Looking back at it now, it was almost like it was storing fear. Storing anxiety, packing itself full of those emotions so it can unleash them later. It never did anything in secret. I could walk into the kitchen on a Sunday morning and hear my mom literally steps away from being able to see me, and right in front of me, a cup would slide across the counter. The jug of milk would start to tip over in front of my eyes, but only ever in front of me. It was like a game. What would get the biggest rise out of me in plain sight? I was feeling more annoyed than scared, though. Of course, there was always the initial squeal and the fear and the rush in the moment. But overall, I didn't feel scared in my home yet. Uncomfortable and a little doubtful of my sanity, for sure. I think it didn't like that. That I wasn't broken yet, that I wasn't screaming and crying to my family every time something weird happened. We were in summer break at this point, and on this one day I was alone in the house for about 15 minutes, if that. My parents were at work, my sister was getting ready to go out with her friends, and one of my girlfriends was about to come over so we could watch horror movies together. I even remember excitedly telling my sister that Max was on her way, and I was going to start prepping our snacks. My sister made fun of me on her way out, and then I was alone. And I still don't understand any of what happened or why. Our kitchen is a U-shape with an island sink in the middle and plenty of room to walk around. Then there's the dining room and stairs to upstairs, straight ahead is the living room, a hallway with our laundry and bathroom, and then the main door. On the right is the door to the patio and backyard. That was the landscape that surrounded me. I was working on our snacks. I was setting up little chocolate pretzels and candy on a platter, I was getting the popcorn going, washing some fruits in the sink, I was rushing around. I remember I had just opened the door to the fridge to grab a dip, when the cupboard door right beside me whipped open and smashed right into my head. I screamed and backed up further into the kitchen. The cupboard doors opened one by one trying to whip into me, I got down to my knees, covering my head. I was sobbing slowly crawling forward to make my way out of the kitchen. That's when the bottom cabinet doors started slamming as well, hitting me in the legs, the arms, but I kept moving. And then a glass flew out from above me and shattered by my knees. I was shaking. I was scared. I was in so much pain from being whacked over and over and so I kind of gave up I lay down in between the island and the kitchen counter and curled up covering my head and face and I just lay there wailing as glasses and mugs and plates were being thrown from one side of the kitchen to the other our front entrance door opened and I heard Max squealing excitedly as she came in. I heard her throw her shoes at the closet door. I heard her run into the living room, and then scream as she saw me on the ground, covered in welts and cuts and blood. Don't move, don't move, don't move! She kept saying, and I lay there as she swept up all the broken glass and ceramics. When it was safe for me to move, Max helped me to sit up, and we hugged and cried, and she kept asking me what happened. Once I could breathe, I told her. I told her I was haunted, I told her what it was doing. I told her that it did this and it was flinging all this glass at me and I was just frozen in fear on the floor. I think Max believed me. I had already told her the stories from Baba's party in the last few months. Every time something was moving, I'd text Max right away to let her know. I wanted to curl up on the couch and disappear, but of course Max wasn't going to let that happen. She sat me on the couch with the first aid kit beside her and gave me the best treatment an untrained teenager could possibly give. Grabbed an ice pack for my head, and then we lay on the couch and watched cartoons instead. At around five, my mom got home from work and acknowledged Max and I on the couch. I was scared stiff. I was just waiting for her to do her rounds and get changed and then come see me and, I mean, see me. Sure enough, that happened. She came over and plopped down on the couch and put my legs in her lap, and the chorus of, What? 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 began. Without missing a beat, I told her I fell down the stairs. In response, she lifts my arms and pokes the band-aids. And all of these cuts? She asked me. Rugburn, I replied. Max agreed with me and confirmed the story, saying she was here when it happened, and my mom bought it. We all just kind of settled into the couch for a bit, and everything was okay. Until, of course, mom went to grab a glass of water... And I had no answer for why everything was missing. And then I had no answer for the yard bag full of broken glass on the patio. That was the last thing to have happened at the house. I recovered, no permanent injuries. My mom and dad were saying it was probably a small earthquake, and we all just kind of worked through it. Then a year later I moved out and the rest of my life continued. When I was 22, I met my now-husband, and after a few months of dating, we decided we would move in together. It was a mobile home on a nice plot of land, and with a bit of work, we turned it into a dream home that we could flourish in. That our love could flourish in. My husband, Jacob, was more spiritual than I was, but just as much of a goth and a metalhead. He's such a sweet man. An incredibly loving and considerate husband, and I think back to my life and I'm so lucky to have met him. But nobody's perfect. Jacob knew about what had happened to me, and as time went on in our relationship, he became more and more curious. In fact, he desperately wanted to know everything, and wanted to understand and find root causes for what had happened, and eventually... We got talking about the party at Bubba's house. We talked about the Ouija board that spelled out my name. Jacob was convinced that whatever happened with the board was connected to the attack at my home, which was fine and dandy, but at this point in my life, it had been a decade without any sort of haunting. And Jacob just kept pushing. He was so insistent on getting more information. And not only that, but he was insistent on doing a Ouija session to reconnect with whatever that was. I would refuse repeatedly. I did not understand his obsession. But it was never a source of argument. If I said stop, he would stop talking about it right away. Jacob... I didn't know this yet, but Jacob was very good at keeping secrets. Not so much now. Now he gets beet red and spills everything, but back then he was tight-lipped and reserved. Jacob was a construction site inspector at the time, and there were times, like this particular evening, when he'd come home pale as a sheet and drenched in sweat, and he wouldn't want to talk about it. He'd go shower, and as soon as he'd come downstairs, he was back to normal. I got upset. I felt alienated in a way. I wanted to comfort my husband and be there for him, but I just wasn't ever given an opportunity to do so. And in the wake of a fight, he finally told me what had been happening. Something was trying to kill him. Those were his exact words, and you can take it or leave it, but my husband is not someone that exaggerates. He is not someone that makes up falsehoods. He shared that every week, without fail, something would go wrong, particularly on worksites that were actually to code, or work sites where he would never have expected something to happen. From the floor collapsing and him falling down a level, to piping detaching from the wall and whipping straight into him, to being pushed out of a window when there was no one around to have done it, it was all pretty consistent. For some reason, he had the sense that this thing hounding him originated with me. I ended up agreeing to another Ouija board session, just Jacob and I, and he very quickly got to setting it up on the dining room table. Jacob reached out by saying he's looking to make contact with the entity that's attached to me, and asked if that entity was there with us. After a short silence, the planchette slid over to yes. We asked it how it became attached to me, and mother was the answer once more. I asked it what it wanted, and it replied with, why, oh, you. That same feeling I'd had all those years ago at Baba's party, the dizziness, and the almost overwhelming nausea, it all washed over me again. Jacob tried to communicate with it, to understand what it wanted, what it meant, and I had my fingers on the planchette alongside him. But I felt like I was slipping in and out of consciousness. Jacob saw and ended the session, which was something that hadn't been done last time. I remember gathering my bearings and looking at Jacob, who was holding my hand, and realizing that this was something that had begun with my mother somehow. That's where we are today. I'm working up the courage to talk to my mom about this because I don't know how she'll take it. I think she as well must have played around with Ouija boards in her childhood. I mean, look, so many people do. But I haven't gotten there yet. I'd like to come back and share what my mom has to say if that's okay whenever I get there. But in the meantime, I leave you with this. It feels very much that this entity is trying to get me completely alone, without help, without loved ones, without support. I know that's not going to happen. I believe that. But God, it's so exhausting. Betty, thank you so much for sharing such a deeply personal experience with us. Those events from the party at Baba's house cast a long shadow over your life, and it would be so interesting to know what his reasoning was. It's unbelievable that someone would willingly bring darkness into another person's life. But it does happen and it sounds very much like he served you right up on a platter. In times like these, seeking spiritual guidance and support becomes paramount. From the bottom of my heart, Betty, thank you so very much for your story, and I would love to hear from you again. If you have a story of your own, don't hesitate to submit it to spectralsojourns at gmail.com or get in touch with us on our Instagram or Facebook at Spectral Sojourns. Now, as we bid you farewell, dear travelers, let tonight's tale be a reminder that the boundary between horror and reality is but a fragile thread, ready and willing to unravel. Tread softly as you emerge from the abyss, And may the whispers of this spectral sojourn haunt your dreams till next we meet. Sleep well, if you can.